Wow. Okay, first I, oh, my microphone is on. <laughs> I was playing with it and I was like, I don't think it's on. Wow, it's such an honor and such a privilege to be here tonight to share with you, especially on this topic that I feel God put on my heart because it's something that for me has been something I've wrestled with over the years. And I really hope and pray that this topic is going to minister to you tonight. And it, the title of my message is Identity. Because tonight we're going to talk about identity. I really believe that if we knew our identity as children of God, we would be unstoppable. Amen? Amen. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, I just want to open in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much, Lord, for this awesome privilege and opportunity to stand before your people, God, and to share your word. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would prepare every heart, every single one here, God, to hear the word that you have for them. Lord, I come against any distractions or any lies that the enemy would be speaking, and I pray that your word and your truth would just penetrate through to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so how many of you have heard of Benjamin Kyle? Oh, look, no one. I had never heard of him either, actually. (laughs) And if you were to go to his Facebook page a few years ago, it actually said, hi, my name is Benjamin Kyle. Do you know who I am? Neither do I. Because Benjamin Kyle was found uh, beside a Burger King restaurant out by the dumpster. He was naked, beaten, covered in fire ant bites, and he had no clue who he was. He didn't have any identification on him. He had no recollection of anything, not even his name, not anything about how old he was, where he came from, nothing. He had zero memory at all. The reason he took the name Benjamin Kyle was because he was found outside of Burger King. So the initials BK, and he kind of thought his name might be Benjamin. He actually went 11 years not knowing his identity. No one was even looking for this man. Like he was on the Dr. Phil show trying to figure out who am I and nothing. It was only because of a DNA match that he was able to kind of come to an understanding of where he came from. They traced it through his DNA and they found out his name actually was William Powell and he was 67 years old. Isn't that an unbelievable story? Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. I can't imagine going through 11 years having no idea who you are. But the truth is, I think there are many of us that are like Benjamin Kyle. We don't know our identity. We go through our lives not really understanding who am I. So if you were to ask me, who are you, I would introduce myself. I'm Nikki Robin. I'm Brad Robin's wife. I'm a mom to two beautiful daughters. I'm a pastor on staff at Living Hope and a C-group leader of an amazing group of women. Woo! My ladies in the house. Um, But if you were to strip away all of those titles, all of those positions, those roles, the expectations of others, who am I and who are you? Some of you might be here tonight and you might be in a place where your role has changed. You lose a significant uh, loved one, a significant other, and suddenly your identity starts to be shaken. Or you have a career that is, your identity is wrapped up in your job and what you do, and then all of a sudden you lose your job. Well, who who am I now? Where am I now? And I think that can be something that many of us can face, an identity crisis of who am I when everything is stripped away. 
I want to share a verse with you, and this is so powerful. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says, but you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Isn't that an amazing promise? You are God's very own possession. He called you out of the darkness. You don't have to scramble as to who am I because God is the one who created you and he formed you and he chose you. When everything is stripped away, we have value not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. Amen? Your identity is that you're chosen. You are royal priests. You're priest. You're God's, part of God's royal family. You're a holy nation. You're God's very own possession. He has called you. These are the truths of his word. And God has created each and every single one with purpose and with intention. You're not here by accident. God has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. That word masterpiece actually comes from a Greek word poema, which means to make. And it gives the idea of something that's produced or manufactured by an artisan. So when you think of that, think of the word, that word poem. It's like an artist comes up with an idea and they create something. I love, I'm not really artistic myself, but I love watching artists work. And when you look at the great um, masterpieces, those people that created that had a vision in their mind before they even started. And they are putting their pen to paper or the you know, paintbrush to the, the easel with intention and with purpose in every single little part to create this masterpiece that they have. Um, I had a conversation with an artist this week, and he made the comment to me, I knew in my mind what I was trying to create, and I see the little things that I don't like, but no one else knows. And I thought that's so interesting because the artist sees it beforehand, and that's you. And God is the great artist. He is the great composer. He is the designer and the architect of your life. When he created you, nothing was by accident. Every little detail, where you were going to be born, who your parents were going to be, where you were going to grow up, the color of your hair, the color of your skin, your talents, your gifts, your abilities, God knew all of that ahead of time. None of it is coincidence or by accident. So why is it that we struggle with our identity so much if all of this has been created by God? Let me just back up. Let me share a scripture just so you know that this is true. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Before your parents even thought of you, God knew you and he, he had purpose for you. Now, the reason I believe that we struggle so much with our identity and who we are and operating in that is because we have an enemy and it's Satan. The Bible says that his plan is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal your identity. He wants to kill your purpose. And ultimately his plan is to try to destroy your life. And so tonight I want to share a story from the Bible. It's actually from the story of the life of Moses. And I think this is a great picture of what the enemy tries to do 
with us is through the life of Moses. So we're going to start in Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And before we get into it, I'm going to just kind of give you a little bit of background. And, okay, so before this, in Genesis, God set apart Israel and his children as his chosen people. He said, these are my people. They're my, they're my special people. And so he had this plan for this group of, of people, Israel's children. And through a series of circumstances, one of the children, Joseph, was sold into slavery into Egypt. And he, uh, by his brothers, his brothers sold him out. And while he was in Egypt, he gained favor with all kinds of people and ended up becoming like second in command in the nation of Egypt. The land went through a major famine. And again, by God's grace, because of where Joseph was, he was able to preserve his entire family and bring them to live with him in Egypt. Uh, He forgave his brothers and all that. Kind of get into a lot of the story, but... Just to give you some background, so his family lived in Egypt, and he preserved their lives from the famine. Years go by, Joseph dies, Pharaoh dies, and now there's a new Pharaoh in town, and he has no idea of what happened in the past. He doesn't know who these people are, he doesn't know about Joseph, he doesn't know all that stuff, and he sees the people of God beginning to grow and multiply in power. So we're going to take a look at Exodus 1, verse 9. It says, this is Pharaoh speaking. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't and war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. I think this is a picture of what the enemy does to us before we come to know the Lord and what he tries to do to us even sometimes as Christians. See, Pharaoh saw these people and he recognized there's power. If they rise up, they're going to overtake me and they're going to get their freedom and they're going to take over. So he burdened them with hard work, distraction, labor. He made their lives bitter, and he just kept coming against them to try to hold these people down. And yet, it says, the more that he did that, they kept growing and they kept multiplying. Isn't it interesting how sometimes when the enemy comes against us, what he tries to use against us actually works for us, and we continue to grow and we continue to multiply? That's just a side note. But this is what the climate is like there, but that's what it's like before we come to know the Lord. You see, if the enemy can get us burdened down with worry, with work, with distractions, with all kinds of things, we won't rise up to realize who we are and take hold of the freedom that God has for us as his people. So that's what's going on here. And... Uh, Nothing is working. And so Pharaoh makes the decision, we're going to issue an order to kill all the male children. Every Hebrew boy born is to be killed. Can you imagine that kind of edict being issued from your government? Every child born that's a male is killed. 
Thank God for the Hebrew midwives who didn't obey the order of Pharaoh. They actually uh, you know, said, sorry, but every time we go to these women to, to kill the babies, they're just so fast in giving birth that it, we can't get to them in time. And God blessed those midwives for taking that stand. And because of that, we see in Exodus chapter 2, the birth of Moses. So Moses was born during this time, and he was born to a priestly lineage. His parents loved God, and they believed in God's word and his promises. So when they saw Moses, when he was born, it says his mother recognized that he was not an ordinary child. There was something special about Moses. I want to say to you that there's something special about each and every child that's born. It's not just Moses. Every child is born with purpose and with destiny. But Moses' mother, she saw her child and she hid him for three months. I can't even imagine. In that time, it's not like now where buildings are made with concrete and all plastered together. The sound of a baby's cry wafting across the wind. You'd be petrified. Are they going to come and are they going to take my child? Are they going to kill my baby? They hid this baby for three months until it came to the point where they can't hide him anymore. He's getting too big. We've got to do something. So Moses' mother takes this giant step, and she creates a little basket out of reeds. She weaves them all together, and she covers them with pitch. And that's like forms a little ark that she puts her baby into. She places Moses in this ark, and then she puts him into the Nile River. Now, we're not talking the Grand River in Caledonia. Um, We're talking the Nile River. She's placing her three-month-old baby in a little basket that she's created and pushing him off down the river. Like, wow, I can't imagine what she must have been going through in that moment. The thing I love about Moses' mother, her name was Jochebed. There's a few things we can learn from her. And first, she exercised faith. She, she saw her son, and she took the risk to hide him for those three months. And then she prepared the ark for him. She, she was diligent to make that preparation, to, to seal that up just so, to put him in it. And then she surrendered her baby into the hands of God. I believe when she put him in that ark and put him in the Nile, she wasn't just, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's just float my baby off and we'll see. No, she put that baby in in faith and she surrendered him into the hands of God. And I think we can take a lot from this as parents. As parents, We need to be diligent to do our part, to provide a safe refuge for our kids. We need to create an environment where they're going to come into that saving relationship with Jesus, just like Jochebed did with that little ark. She prepared that for him because for our kids, a relationship with Jesus is what's going to protect them when they go out into the world. And when we give them into the world, we give them into the hands of God and we trust God with our kids because he loves them even more than we do. And so... This is where Jochebed is at. And I want to encourage you tonight. You know, as I'm speaking about this, and I'm going to share a little bit as encouragement for parents, because I think we can get so much out of Moses' life as parents. But if you have kids right now, and your kids have already left home, and maybe you're feeling like, okay, my kids are already out there, and they're not serving God. You know, I am so, so thankful for my parents, because my parents came to know the Lord when I was older. I was already moved out on my own, and uh, my parents came to know the Lord, and they realized that God had a call on my life. And so they weren't content to just leave me. They kept pursuing, kept pursuing and praying for me um, for many years until I finally surrendered to God. 
And I want to encourage you, parents, if your kids are far from God, don't give up. Keep persevering. Keep praying for them. Because I believe the prayers of a mother are so powerful. And father, too. I mean, it's, it's so important that we not give up on our, parent, on our kids. And this next generation is under attack. Like never, ever before. When we send our kids out into the world... There is just so much out there that their identity is being attacked every single day. Like nothing we've seen before with social media and television and the different things that are taking place in our world. Kids are are facing an an attack on their identity, identity crisis. And um, I was looking into this and, you know, it's very sad that suicide is one of the top killers of young people today. Think about that, the destiny, the purpose, the the potential that's wrapped up in these young lives where the enemy comes in and and causes them to feel so hopeless that they take their own lives. And that's one of the reasons why I love this church and the vision that we have for our young people. If you take a look down where our kids area is, um, the motto in our kids wing is little kids, big plans. When our kids are coming to church, they're not just going in there like coloring in a book and being babysat while we're enjoying the word. They're being given an opportunity every week to encounter God as young children. And our Elevate ministry, I'm just going to give a shout out to Elevate because, again, their motto is elevate God, elevate people, elevate purpose. Our young people are given an opportunity to take a hold of purpose and destiny for their lives. Not just floating through life, life, like where am I going? But you have a purpose, you have a destiny, you have a call in your life. These young people are ambassadors for the next generation. And I want to encourage you, church, be praying for our young people because they need it so much. This weekend, our youth leaders are on a retreat, and I want to encourage you to be praying for them. They sow and pour into our youth, and it's so awesome. Um, So we're going to get back to the story of Moses here after I went on that little side note there. But Moses ends up being floated down the river, and his little sister was sent to follow him to see where is he going to end up. And he ends up washing up right where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. Now, that could have gone really bad. She could have opened up that little ark and saw the baby and said, oh, this is one of those Hebrew children. Take it away. Get rid of it. But she opened that basket. She saw Moses, and she fell in love with Moses. And she pulled him, drew him out of the water. That's where his name came from, drawn out of the water. He was picked up, and she called to Miriam, Moses' sister, and said, go and find one of these Hebrew women to come and nurse this baby. And I think that's pretty cool. God, Jochebed surrendered Moses into God's hands, and God gave him back to her. And not only that, she was actually paid to nurse her own child. Isn't that amazing? All the nursing moms are like, praise the Lord. <laughs> um, but the really cool thing is, is when, when I did some research on this, Children back then, I mean, we, we see babies weaned at six months, a year. Back then, children weren't weaned until they were like four or five years old. So Moses' mother would have had those formative years with him, speaking over him, destiny, call, 
purpose. Moses, you're part of the priestly lineage. Moses, do you know who your grandparents were? Do you know the call of God? She would have been able to share Hebrew stories and all kinds of songs and just really help to build in this young child his identity as one of the children of God until he was five years old. I mean, developmentally, those are like super important years. And so we see this this happening. And again, we can learn from this, parents. Speak life over our kids because whatever time we get with them, we want to be pouring into them destiny, purpose, call, speaking encouragement, speaking life. They're going to go out in the world and they're going to get knocked down. But when they come with us, let them be built up. Let them be encouraged every time they come. So Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh with all of the privilege. I mean, at that time, Egypt was like the nation. And he, Moses would have had everything he could have ever wanted as the son of Pharaoh. And he grew up in that environment um, with everything at his disposal. But in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24 to 27, we see that something happened in Moses' life that caused him to make a major change. It says, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt not fearing the king's anger, he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I believe Moses had a revelation of who he was that changed his life. Even though he had everything that the world had to offer, Moses came to an understanding that I have nothing if I don't have Christ. If I don't have God's purpose and plan, all these other things are worthless to me. And I really believe that Moses had that encounter with God that really changed everything. The word looked that talks about in that scripture is not just to look, but to look away from everything else, to look intently on one object. Moses in this time had to make a major leap of faith. He had to look at everything he had. Okay, I've got everything here, all the stuff in Egypt. I could end up becoming the ruler of the world basically at that time. I have to turn away from that to turn towards something I don't even know. I don't even know what that looks like. And I believe we all have to come to that place where we make that decision for ourselves. When we, when we recognize that no matter what we have or don't have, that nothing is valuable apart from Christ, apart from having him in our lives. Um, I remember back before I, I came to know the Lord, as I said, my parents were praying for me and they shared with me. I actually came to church a lot of times, in and out, in and out. And I had prayed and invited Christ into my life, but I hadn't fully surrendered my life to him. Kept kind of doing my own thing. And, you know, I'm not proud of the things that I did back then. And I remember one time just being in a situation where I'm looking at everything that I'm doing. And I was like, this isn't for me. This isn't, this isn't me. I, I think God has more for me than this. And I had to make that purposeful, intentional decision to turn away and turn my life over to the Lord. And the Bible says that it is impossible to please God unless we come to him by faith. 
We have to have faith that he is who he says he is, that he is good, and that his plan for us is a good plan. And God rewards those who sincerely seek him. When we seek after him, he, he will be found. Um, and we only will discover our true identity uh, through faith. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. We can wrestle sometimes turning away from the old life because we don't know what's over here. But think about Moses. Even though that looked so good, can you imagine what he would have missed out on had he not turned to God? I mean, the guy parted the Red Sea, received the Ten Commandments, delivered the people of God out of bondage. He saw miracles of manna in the desert. I mean, his life had so much purpose and destiny that was so much greater even than Moses. Here we are, all these years later, we're still talking about him. And he was a picture of Christ for us. So God had so much purpose for Moses that all started with a revelation of who he was a child of God. So how do I, how do you discover and walk out your identity in Christ? Well, first, you need to embrace Christ. In order to discover your true identity, it starts with having that personal relationship with Jesus. Because before Christ, if you think of God as the great composer, and he's got this whole beautiful symphony of our life, before we come to him, it's like we're marching to the beat of our own drum. And I can't imagine what that looks like to go ahead sometimes as it's just kind of doing our own thing. And you know what? Sometimes it looks like we have it all together, but inside of all of us, there is, there's a part of us that, we, that only God can satisfy. Some people have referred to it as like a God-shaped hole within us. We can try to fill that in with position, with roles, with accolades of people, possessions. We can try to fill that with all kinds of things but still come up feeling so empty because only Christ can fill that void inside of us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. Isn't that awesome? When you become a Christian, when you embrace Christ in your life, you receive a new identity. We become a new creation. It says in the Bible that God forgets our past. Our past is wiped away. Jesus has taken all of our mistakes, all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the yucky things of our past, and he chooses to forget it all and gives us a brand new start. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that when God looks at me, he doesn't look at the things I did before. He looks at me as a new creation. Actually, when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. You know, Jesus is pretty awesome. And Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're hidden in Christ. We're not, God doesn't look at us and see us. He sees Christ. So that's the first step, is embrace Christ. Secondly, do not conform. I love this one. Um, Romans 12, verse 2, one of my favorite verses. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, the enemy had a plan for Moses. Just conform to this life of the Egyptians. Go along with this. Be happy in this. But he didn't, he didn't do that. 
The enemy has a plan that he wants you to conform to. He has a pattern in this world that he wants us to meld into. It's like taking us and trying to squeeze us into a little mold. Say, here, just be like this. Be like everyone else. Look at these people. Compare yourselves. Try to fit in and be this. Knowing that, you know what, if we truly discover who we are, Man, we have so much because God created us with purpose. God created us to be overcomers. God created us to be victorious, to be winners. Satan wants us to conform to his pattern to be a loser. You know what? God has so much more. And I'll tell you what, comparison is the enemy of God's best for you. When you look at other people and you say, I want to be like them, I think they're better, and we try to conform ourselves to the image of others, that is the enemy of God's best plan for you. Because he didn't make you to be me. He didn't make you to be someone else. He made you to be you. Because there's only one you. And God has people for you in your circle that I will never, ever interact with. I was thinking about this. My brother-in-law, he works in a factory, and he talks to all these factory guys. I'm never going to talk to them the way he does. If I tried to conform myself to be like that, it's not going to work, and he can't be me. We all need to be um, happy to be ourselves and not be conformed to other people. Um, Social media makes this a real challenge. And I, I have a little confession. I have to tell a story. My kids told me, you got to share some stories. So when I was thinking about this whole area of comparison, um, you know, I know many of you are on social media. And I've recently joined Instagram because I wanted to follow my daughter and just see what she's up to. And so I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get on to this Instagram. And uh, you can see the beautiful highlights of everyone's life, some of the images, some of the pictures. You can look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. And then you can look at your own life and think, oh my goodness, like, oh wow. But I have a confession. Recently, I started going on Instagram and posting these little Insta stories. I don't know if you guys are familiar. They're very short little stories that you just talk into the camera and then you send them out. They're only there for 24 hours and then they're gone. So I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, one day from now, this will fall off and no one will see it. So I thought I'll play around with this. But you know what? It's funny. I would record myself and be like, I don't like the way I said that. I don't really like the way I looked. Delete. Da, la, la, la. Say the same thing. Mm, I don't know if I like that either. Delete. Do it again. I could record myself three or four times before I get the perfect Insta story that I put out. And you guys are looking at it thinking, wow, that came out so nicely. You know what? That's not reality. <laughs> That's the reality that I created on Instagram. And I want to encourage you, especially young people, you can be looking at someone else's social media page and you can be thinking, wow, their life is so amazing. You don't even know if that's real. So don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself. Let's celebrate one another. Amen. Amen. Yep. Now you're going to be watching my Instagram and going, see, this isn't real. <laughs> Take a picture and I'm like, quick, clear the, clear the clutter off the countertop. Like, let's make it look like my house is perfectly immaculate all the time. <laughs> Confession time. Okay, we're done. <laughs> But the truth is that Satan knows that if we discover who we are and that we begin to believe it, then we're powerful. And just like the Israelites, he knew that if they discovered who they were and they rose up against him, that they would take over. Well, you know what? If the Israelites back then had realized, we're the children of God. Wait a minute. Why is the enemy putting all this on us? We're God's kids. They could have broken free of that bondage long before Moses 
Um, and I believe the enemy sees that in you, that you are powerful, that you have purpose and potential. He wants to keep you squished down. So don't confirm, uh, conform. Confirm? No, conform. Um, and God's purpose for every single one of us is to be like Moses, to be deliverers of our generation, to bring people out of bondage and bring them into freedom. No matter where you are and what you're doing, if your purpose in life doesn't line up with that mission, that's not God's purpose for you. Because God's intention and his purpose for all of us is to be part of his mission of redeeming people back to himself. And so um, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, Nikki, that's pretty big. I'm not Moses, and I don't think I'm going to be able to be a deliverer. Well, Moses didn't even think he was good enough to do that. When you look at Moses in Exodus chapter 311, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses didn't even think that he was good enough. And God used him. How do you not know that God wants to use you for some amazing purpose to reach somebody that's going to change the destiny of their life, their family lineage, that God is going to use you to do something amazing for him? How do you not know that God wants to use you for something like that? And I believe that so many of us are not living out the full potential and destiny uh, because we've bought into lies about our identity. We've bought into lies about who we are. So here are some, and I, I think I got some of these because I probably said them or thought them myself. Um, things like, I'm nobody. Who am I? I'm just a woman. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a teenager. I'm just a regular guy. Fill in the blank. I'm just a. We all have those times where we, we think that. Um, I don't know enough. I hear that all the time. I don't know enough. How can I say anything? Well, I'll tell you what. You know your story, you know a little bit more maybe than that person you're sharing with. How about this one? This is a big one. What if I fail? What if I'm rejected? What if I'm wrong? What if they don't like me? What if I didn't hear from God? All of those can be lies and thoughts that the enemy puts in our mind to keep us from speaking the truth. But you know what those all do? They keep the focus on right here. I. What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't have the words? What if I didn't hear? What if I? No, we don't need, we don't want to be focusing on me. God. God is able. God is the one that called me. God is the one that's going to use me. God is going to give me the words. How do I not know if God has a word for this person? We need to get the focus off of me and onto, onto Christ. And Moses, he said the same kind of things. If you look back in Exodus, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but Exodus 4, he said, what if they don't listen? He said, I can't speak. I don't, I don't speak very well. He said, send someone else. Over and over, he said that. Send somebody else. And yet God said to Moses, I am going to go with you. I'm going to give you what you need. Just, just obey me, trust me, and it's all going to work out. And it did. The enemy will often use our past experiences as well. Things that have happened before, hurt, pain, negative experiences, insecurities, things that other people might have said to us. The enemy will try to bring those back into our mind to keep us from discovering our true identity. And this is where point number three comes in. And this is to be transformed. That scripture that I read before talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that actually gives a picture of something being restored back to its original state. Um, I think of that, and I often think of like one of those old classic cars 
where someone takes that car and they restore it back to how it was supposed to be. Only it usually is better than it probably would have been when it was new. They actually restore it back. And that's what God wants to do in our minds. He wants to restore our thought process to the original design, to the intention that he has for us. He wants to change the way that we think and give us a new mindset. Because the truth is you will never live higher than your thoughts. I don't usually like statements like this because I think it's so black and white. You never will live higher than your thoughts. But it's true. You will never live higher than your thoughts. Because if you think you can't, you won't. If you think you are less, you're going to act less. If you think, um, you know, you think negatively about yourself, well, that's just going to fulfill itself. You can't live above the way that you think. The way you think about yourself is going to affect every area of your life. And God wants to change our thought processes and our mindset. And when that changes, it's going to affect our actions. It's going to affect our habits, our words. And eventually that determines the course of our life as God begins to work in our thinking. So I've got an assignment for you. This is the assignment part of my message. There's three points I'm going to share with you. And I want to encourage you to do these The first one is to read the word. It's like that's the blueprints. If we want to be put back to the original design, we need to look and see what is the original design. What is the blueprint here? What does God say about me? And only in his word are we going to find the truth of who we are. And so reading the word and getting God's thoughts about ourselves is so critical. Now, you might not know where to start because there's lots of stuff in there. We've actually put a resource on our church app. So if you don't have the church app, go and get it under Living Hope Church app. There's a Who Am I in Christ link there. You can go onto that little link, and there's a bunch of scriptures as to who you are in Christ. I want to encourage you to go read those and look them up and start memorizing them. Start speaking those over yourself That's a huge way that you're going to see change in your thinking. The second part is to obey the word. It's not good enough just to read it. The Bible says that we have to do something with it. Um, James chapter 122 says, don't just listen to God's word. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. We need to not only read the word, we need to put it into practice. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, God speaks to you and says, I want you to go and share with your neighbor that I love them. And you say, well, I, I'm, I'm not able to do that. I don't have the right words. You know, you're not putting into practice what God has spoken. You need to actually do it. Step out in faith. Step it out in obedience. And as you do, that's what's so exciting. So exciting to step into that place where you're stepping in faith and stepping in obedience because that's where God shows up. And God does stuff that you can't even imagine. Um, so do and obey the word. And the third point is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak life over you. You know, we need to get into the presence of God on a daily basis and let God speak life over, over our lives. Because the enemy is speaking all the time, like, rah, 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 you know, these noises. And unfortunately, the enemy's voice tends to seem louder and, and gonging in our ears as to all the negative things about ourselves, But the Holy Spirit has a still, small voice that speaks life and speaks truth. And he, his voice 
you know, is what we need. The Holy Spirit's been given to us as a counselor, as a comforter, as our guide. And so we need to hear what he has to say. And to do that, I encourage you just to spend time in his presence, just worshiping God. Just let him begin to speak and just let him begin to minister to you as, he, as you're doing that. I know I've been there, done that many, many times. In fact, as I'm preparing to speak tonight, you know, the enemy's there. Who do you think you are? You got nothing to say. Wah, wah, wah. Lie, lie, lie. And I get into the presence of God and God says, yes, you can do it. I'm going to speak through you. I'm going to give you the words to speak. And he is what gives you the strength to step out in faith. So get into his presence. Let him speak to you. And today, I want to announce some things over you. I want to speak life over you. I want to declare that you are not an accident, that you have been chosen by God, that you have purpose, that you have destiny, that God didn't create you accidentally. You have purpose and destiny in your very DNA. You are a, you are a perfect masterpiece of the mighty God. Amen? And don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. We need you as the body of Christ. We need you to be you. If you try to be someone else, we're missing something. So don't try to conform. Don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself because no one else can be, be you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, I want to pray over you. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I just thank you tonight, Lord God, that you have such a beautiful plan for each and every one that's here tonight, God. Lord, that, that you have called them here with purpose. Lord, that there is not one person that's sitting in this room tonight by accident. You have them here for a reason, God, because, Lord, you want to speak life over them, God. You want to declare over your people, God, that they are your people, that you have a destiny and you have a purpose for each one. God, God, I thank you, Lord, that, God, your mission is to see mankind reconciled back to yourself. And, Lord, that there is nothing more exciting than being a part of that mission. Lord, I pray that a fire would rise up on the inside of us, Lord, as your people, to say, I am going to embrace who God made me to be, and I'm going to jump into the mission that he has for me. I'm not going to let the enemy push me around any longer. I'm not going to let the enemy speak lies over my identity, but I am going to believe the truth of your word and what you spoke in it about me. I thank you, God, for what's going to begin to take place in every heart that takes a hold of this truth, God, and that we're going to see great days, Lord, as a church, God, as we embrace this, Father, for ourselves. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you, God. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I want to ask tonight, if there is anyone here that you haven't taken that very first step and embraced Christ, you have been trying to fill that void in your life with all kinds of stuff, and it's not working. And you realize tonight, I need to embrace Christ. I need to know who I am in Him.